Together, we're going to dive into uh, uh, the first chapter of Philippians, uh, the concluding verses of this chapter. Now, uh, heads up, next week we're going to flow straight from these set of verses into the opening of chapter 2. So uh, if you want to read ahead and get some familiarity, you're welcome to do so. We're going to be in verse 27 and following to the end of the chapter, Philippians uh, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I look forward to you digging in in, in your Bible with me. If not, the words will be on the screen. Let's together hear the word of the Lord. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, and we together, the people of God, give thanks to him, the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious Father, what a gift it is to be directed by your word, to hear from you as we turn in your holy scripture. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us, body, mind, and spirit, to love you more and more, and in so doing, respond with love for our neighbors. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, we would come to know and understand your word, your will, open our hearts, that we would feel the power of your word. Then I pray, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would be a people generous in grace, your instruments offering grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So over the course of the weekend, I have been in San Antonio uh, at University Methodist uh, walking alongside of uh, our director of serve here at Covenant, Megan Masrell, uh, through an immersive experience that they journey with uh, some leaders through. It's called The Course. And, and, and while uh, we were going through that work, one of the challenges that we were met with was, uh, what are the lies that, uh, that we tell ourselves in trade for the truth of the good news of Jesus. We, 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 we might know with a mental assent the truth of the gospel, but we trade that for a lie. What is that lie and what is that lie that, 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 that is rooted in you? Because it's unique individual by individual. That's... That, that's the, the, the ugly part of, of the way the enemy works against us, that lie is tailor-made. And what stories are 
uh, do, do the, does that lie derive from? Well, for me, it, uh, I was spending some time in solitude and in prayer, and, uh, and, and I was uh, obviously considering this passage of Scripture heavily on my mind, knowing that, that this is what the Lord had prepared uh, for us to hear about today. Conduct yourselves worthy, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and that, 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 that Scripture just weighs on me, uh, almost like, like an like a intimidating burden, uh, wondering how is this possible and I realize that, that, that therein begins the lie for me. I, I, I wasn't able to really tap into it succinctly. I'm still working on it, and it's, it's a work that I intend to, uh, to, to follow up on and bring to completion. But, but I knew that somewhere in there, the Spirit of God revealed to me that, that there was a story that I've told before. It's one of my earliest memories where that lie was rooted so if you've heard this story, please forgive me. Uh, I'm discovering new things about it as I'm drawing back so early in my memories. Uh, and looking at my son, Sam, I wonder how could that be possible? We lived in, uh, in, in the Meyer Park area in southwest inner loop Houston in the Stella Link area. My dad was a pastor at Bethany United Methodist Church. And my, my world was, was somewhat chaotic. We had just moved. I'm second, third, and fourth grade. And, and in that period, I also am aware of my parents' uh, marital problems and receiving counseling for uh, a, a temporary separation in my parents' marriage. And, and while all of that is swirling around me, uh, I, I am uh, compelled in isolation to achieve perfection. I set that as my aim, as a second, third, and fourth grader, with no one knowing that this is my conscious, not just subconscious, my conscious desire to be perfect. And so I, I would set my aim at that, and, and I, I, would, I would determine, I would come home from school, and I, I, don't, I don't know the, the, the instigating factor yet, haven't gotten that deep into my subconscious to remember, but, but I, I, I would know that I would come home from school, and I would go to my room, and I would determine that day was the beginning. I will be perfect. So I would clean my room of, of every evidence of my imperfection. I would, I would put everything in its place. I would make up my bed. I would, I would be sure that, that all of my clothes were folded. I would open my drawers and examine how neat and tidy even my drawers were. And, and, and I, would, I would neurotically go through this clean slate start. And then it would be dinner time, and I would go uh, in for dinner, and, and I, I, I would remember all of my manners. Everything would be perfect. I, I would take the napkin that, that my mom had placed the fork on top of. I would lift the fork methodically. I would put the napkin spread over my lap, unlike any other meal I had ever eaten before. I would, I would put the napkin on my lap, and then I would not put my elbows on the table, and I, would be, uh, I, would be, I wouldn't even mix my foods. I would eat the foods in compartments because that sort of methodology seemed perfect to me. Then, then uh, at, at the end of dinner, I would ask my mom, may I be excused from the table? May I and be excused, okay? I got it right, second, third, and fourth grade. 
I, I, would, I would go to the kitchen sink and I would rinse my dish and wash my dish. This, we didn't have a dishwasher. For the younger kids in, in the 1030 service, they're going to be like, what? No dish. Like, yeah, I washed my dish. I put my dish away. And then it was time for shower. I would go shower without my mom asking me to shower. And, and, and I would bring my clothes, uh, my pajamas into the bathroom instead of like uh, dripping water all the way down the hallway as I had been known to do. And, and as I was taking a shower, I would remember all of the things that I needed to do to be perfect. I, I, would, I would wash behind my ears, which I do not wash behind my ears. But my mom always told me, wash behind your ears. Why does that particular part of the body get dirty that often? But I washed behind my ears. Good lather. Get it all clean. And then I would remember my mom would always tell me, you're barefoot too often. You got to wash between your toes. Now that one makes sense to me because that's gross. And so I would get my fingers and I'd scrub between my toes and I would get all clean. There was even a methodology to the way I would dry off, making sure that there was not an ounce of water left on me, I would wring my arms like this so that the towel wouldn't get so wet that it wasn't able to do its job. I hung the towel back up, and then with a neurotic case of compulsion, I would walk out of the bathroom, and I would hit these like military corners to walk back to my bedroom. And then as I walked in the door of my bedroom, I laid down for bed without my mom or dad asking me to. And I decided that perfect people slept on their backs with their arms folded on their chest. And I laid there until I fell asleep. I was aiming at perfection. And I've told that story before many times, actually. Probably because there's a potent underpinning that I haven't ever been able to put my finger on. And someone recently asked me, this weekend asked me, one of my friends, why did you do that? And there was a conscious clarity immediately that could have only come from the Spirit of God that welled up within me and said, because I wanted to be like Jesus. As a second, third, and fourth grader, I wanted to be like Jesus. But my image of what Jesus expected of me was filled with compulsion and OCD and all sorts of other laden and burdened responsibilities that made me miss the mark. What does it mean to hit this mark? This aim. This aim that, 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 that Paul raises up for us, the people of God, the church. He, he he breaks it down like this. Did you hear that opening, that opening verse? It, it, it rings in my ear. 
conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what, 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 is that, what does that look like? What does that mean? How can we even hope to, to, to move forward in that space? Well, I, I have to confess that the weight of my failures in the attempts to achieve perfection, whether that be as a child or even later in my teenage, young adult, or adult years, my failures in achieving perfection have made me calloused towards this scripture such that I had given up. I allowed in seasons of my life defeat to be the outcome of this text. Not, 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 not just defeat, but, but the the. Defeat before I even tried because my past failings were so many. How could I move forward? But it's not, it's not saying conduct yourself in a manner so that you earn your worthiness. It says conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. I want you to hear the, the nuanced difference. Paul is not saying that your conduct makes you worthy. He's saying your worthiness should be reflected in your conduct. That's so critically important. He's not saying your conduct makes you worthy of the gospel. He's saying your worthiness should be reflected in your conduct. So we must begin with our worthiness. We are worthy not because of the things that we do or can do. We are worthy because Jesus has made us so but because Jesus loved us so much that even in our sin, even in our brokenness, he came and took on the weight and burden of our defectiveness and in that space was able to restore us and redeem us and make us worthy. Not just make us worthy, but help us to understand that we have always been so because we have been created by a God who loves us and called us very good from the very beginning. And we don't have ears to hear it, or at least I don't. Because in my failings, all too often I claim defeat, which isn't mine to claim. I can't be defeated because Jesus has already won the victory. I, 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 can't, even, I can't even claim uh, that, that my activity has, uh, has, uh, has, has consequence at that level because his activity has already uh, made all the consequence 
on earth matter because he has brought forth a new creation available as he ushered in the kingdom of God for us. But it's not just defeat that can be one of my, one of my uh, responses to the scripture. Complacency can be the other one. I could become content or complacent so as to never even get in the game in the first place. And so I sit back and rest on my laurels and, and, and allow my aim to be all out of focus and be so wide and scattershot that there is no clarity. But here's the clarity. Aim small, miss small. Aim small, miss small. Some of you, that rings in your ear and you're wondering, where have I heard that from? That's, that's uh, I, the best I could re- recall. It's from the Patriot. It's, it's you know, it's Mel Gibson. Uh, his uh, middle son has just perished and, and he takes his two younger sons with him and they go hide in the woods and these are two children and a father against uh, a battalion that's uh, traveling through the woods and he sets them up on the, the hill behind uh, a, a tree trunk and he tells his sons, how have I taught you to shoot? And his sons say, aim small, miss small. And he says, right, that is correct. Aim small, miss small. But for me, I have to start with the question, what am I aiming at? And then I want to hone the focus in even further. The aim for us as Christians is that our everyday lives would imitate and announce the kingdom of God. Our aim as Christians is that our everyday lives would imitate and announce the kingdom of God. Now, now, now I, I, I pulled that focus in and, and started with the individual, with the you and the me, that this is our aim and that our lives matter. And Paul reflects that. He says, conduct your lives. He doesn't say, hey, I'm doing this. Maybe you could consider it. He says, no, we all must conduct our lives in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our actions matter. Our words matter. The way in which we interact with the world around us matters because we are a people who have received the divine within us. The, the, the veil has been torn into. That line between heaven and earth has been destroyed and now God lives in us and we in turn are to carry God's light out into the world for everyone to see. You, you, you see what's taking place? You and I, our lives matter. And if we were to acknowledge that, that, that we know the kingdom of God is here, it's all around us, it's in me and it's in you and it's everywhere and this creation is in the process of being fully restored and we get to bear witness to that and we get to speak to it and we get to proclaim it and we get to, we get to even be a part of it, participants in it. Your life was not just not just saved from sin and death not just saved from hell 
but also you have been saved for, not just from, but for a purpose in God's grand redemptive story. We, in our everyday lives, are to imitate and announce the kingdom of God. And then you and I can begin to to narrow that aim day by day, more and more focused into all of those arenas and areas of dominion that we have, we have ceded, that we have said we don't belong or our faith doesn't belong. Uh, we, we, we have ceded the family. We've ceded the, our schools. We've ceded uh, our, our employment, our places of employment. We've ceded our neighborhoods. And now we get to say, no, uh, no, in all of those spaces and more, in my everyday life, I'm carrying the gospel there. I'm ushering in the kingdom. I'm opening eyes to what God is doing. We can narrow the aim when we know the mission. And our everyday lives focus us there. We're given a couple of tools that Paul points to. I want to be sure that, that, that we know that we're not ill-equipped. And Paul makes sure that, that we're aware of that in this passage, Philippians one, that the first of the two <clears throat> comes in verse 27. Actually, both of them are in verse 27. He says that, th- that this, this effort to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ begins with standing firm in one spirit. The spirit of Almighty God is a gift of power for you and for me to enable us to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're given the Spirit of God. The the, the Spirit of God is is not something that that we just learn about from a book or we we see as evidenced in someone else. Or uh, every once in a while we have a, a, a touch of an experience with personally. No, it's so much more than that. This Holy Spirit lives in us, dwells in us, and in Him we have our being in the world. We have been empowered with the Spirit of God that helps us to stand firm in our faith. Paul is echoing some Old Testament wisdom that says, Stand firm in your faith or you will not stand at all. And he's saying, We stand firm in our faith, not by our own strength, but by the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. The second tool that he gives us is in the the following clause. It says that that we then strive together as one. Verse 27, strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. That this is an effort that we don't undertake alone, that we undertake as a body. 
that, that, that we are all invested in. Now, I, I, need, I need to make sure that we're clear on this. There, are, that there is a collective undertaking that the, the church is to bear witness in the world, but there's also the individual undertaking that is equipped with the knowledge that we're not alone and the power of the body of Christ is with us as encouragement and accountability in that. Do you understand the, the weight and power of this? That, that when we go out into the world, living our everyday lives, imitating and announcing the kingdom of God, conducting our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we undertake that effort as individuals, we go knowing that we have the body going as well, encouraging, supporting holding us accountable as we are sent forth into the world. My aim was off. I thought that there was some set of narrowly constrained, neurotically oriented uh, element of perfection that needed to be achieved, and I missed the fact that the way in which I lived and loved and had my being in the world was what really mattered. How does your faith inform your life? There are so many spaces in this world where we believe faith doesn't mix or belong. But people belong there. And if people belong there, then people of faith belong there. And so that means the way in which you and I show up matters. I'm not going to narrow the aim for you. I'm not going to get so specific that you then feel constrained or locked into something, but I want you to think about what difference this makes for you in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, What difference does this make for you? And how can you aim small? The Lord is going to do amazing things through us. Because he has already done amazing things for us. In the gift and love of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's walk in that confidence together. Would you pray? Gracious and loving God, what, what a tremendous, convicting invitation you have for us in your word today. Conduct yourselves as worthy of the gospel. Lord, we rarely feel worthy, but you have made us so. I ask, oh God, that you would dwell within us and 
walk in this world through us, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves, that the world would know your love through us. Lord, thank you for uh, for the gift of, of the Spirit. Thank you for the gift of the body. Equip us with those tools for the task before us. Uh, we are sent now with great hope to see what you are accomplishing. In Jesus' name, amen.